Hello, Zach. It's nice to see you again. Uh, we're back at it again with a, um, a pseudo-episode of The Bridge. I think we'll consider this a main episode. Uh, no reason to really consider it a bonus episode, but <clears throat> we're doing another Omnibus today. Uh, we're talking about four different albums that have kind of come under the radar for us over the last few months that we haven't really found time to talk about. Um, we're going to be covering Dinosaur Jr., uh, and their new new release, um, Lana Del Rey, Chemtrails Over the Country House. What is it? Country Club. Country Club. Um, Spirit of the Beehive and uh, Igloo Ghost. So those are the, some of the albums that people have been meaning to talk, uh, talk about recently. And uh, either because they didn't prompt a full review or we just didn't find time for them that we decided to put them together into to this one episode. Uh before we get going, is your weather as nice as our weather has been? Uh, the weather actually for this time of year is still a little bit cold in Germany. Like it's it's nice out, but usually you know it sort of it usually starts being twenty degrees here right. in May. We're ahead yeah, of the but... game here uh, in Newfoundland. Like it's been way warmer than usual. Um, the sun's been out. We had a lot of rain last month, but it all seems to have only just led to less snow and more green uh, here now in May. It's uh, it's nice to see, uh, if you remember, usually we're still in the middle of a, our pretend spring at this point. Um, yeah, we have to get past the May 24th weekend. Right, right. Never forget. Yeah, we haven't got to that point, but I, I feel pretty confident that we're not going to hit any snow soon. We've been getting too much good weather and good temperatures. It's been in the kind of the 10 range, you know, not super warm, but good for us especially this time of year so uh, that's been keep, keeping my mood up how about the wind oh uh, it's been windy it's definitely been yeah windy. I, don't, I don't miss the wind at all yeah it's been uh it's pretty gusty uh keeping uh keeping you on your toes but you know weather-wise <laughs> sun-wise it's uh it's been all right uh so let's uh let's kind of start with dinosaur jr i think today um because this is what we were going to talk about this week in full um and you kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit before we started that you didn't like the album. And I think I know why. I think I know why you don't like the album. Um, but I'm curious to hear from your own words, like where you kind of, how this album took you this over this last week. I mean, like, it's very hard to distinguish one track from another. And I realize that these guys are a guitar-oriented indie band but the drum lines are practically the same in every single song man it's just so boring and repetitive yeah uh it 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 didn't reinvent the wheel uh going into this album you know it is what it is it's very true to uh what dinosaur jr has been for a long time uh they they have this very guitar focused um instrumentation with a little bit of the hidden bass and the hidden drums and a lot of like solos here and there flourishes and then you have the 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 you know the vocal work on top with lyrics that are kind of like whatever kind of fluffy whatever there's a lot of vocal melodies and stuff that that kind of carries the album um but i agree with you in terms of like there's a little sameness to a lot of it um and a lot of a lack of like experimentation on the album and and i did kind of wrestle with that during the week 
it was so hard to listen to, and I just kept asking myself why, like why release this batch of songs? They are just so ordinary, and even the solos, like they're sort of short, and there's maybe one or two that are caught my attention, but a lot of them, you know, stop before they really get going, and. You know, it just seems to me like if the band keeps on putting out music like this, they're only going to hurt the legacy that they established for themselves when they were sort of like the indie noise rock group in the early 80s. And then there's that one record they released in 94, I think. Right, right. Yeah, Without a Sound. And the songwriting on that record was really good, and they wrote some really nice songs. And I think the band was more of like... was like a one-man act at that point yeah i think the Uh, band had kind of gone in weird directions and have come back for another round here now in the uh in the aughts but and really have kind of existed now longer in this reunion than they did the previous iterations of the band which uh, is kind of interesting which is interesting yeah because when you think of dinosaur jr you think of like noise rock indie band with um really guitar oriented uh guitar solos that sort of thing and you could see how bands like uh, king gizzard are influ- would be influenced by them um but this latest uh, iteration of the band is just uh, i don't know why they're making these putting out this music it's uh, it's so it feels so uninspired yeah i think i tend to agree with you and I did wrestle with this a little bit, and I came to the kind of a conclusion where I, I kind of became more content with it. Um, the I kind of viewed it as a little bit of a '90s indie throwback, right? And I kind of thought about how much music I listen to uh, that's new that sounds like this anymore, and I kind of grew a little bit more uh, in favor of it, just because I feel like. Like I said, it doesn't reinvent the wheel in any sense of the way. It's pretty samey in certain ways, but there there are definitely songs that like change the flow of things and bring in more jangly guitars, um, and like even the vocal melodies become a little more intricate. Uh, and and the songwriting's not that bad. There's like some pretty good tunes here, some some little head bobbers and stuff. It, it's very rock right now. It struck me almost as being like dad rock. It does sound very dad rock. I'll give you that. Yeah. It does sound like something that will comfortably fit on your classic hits rock station wherever you are. Uh, it, it feels right at home in there. Uh, like, mm-hmm. But there are some songs in here I, I enjoyed uh, and that really brought more energy. Uh, say, Take It Back, uh, Come Out, Hide Another Round. Garden was like a slow burner that, that really appealed to me. Uh, mm-hmm, I met yeah. the Stones was a good good starter uh, when the first two opening tracks, uh, but you're right it it didn't even though there is versatility here on the album and there are different kinds of licks and, and vocal melodies that are brought into the fold it really doesn't go too far off the path at all um, it is what it is this is the the '90s sounding Dinosaur Junior is what we're getting here and it is really throwback it is very comfort in their like comfort spot and, and the kind of building from there. And it is what it is. I could see why you wouldn't like it. And, and I kind of wrestled with the same ideas. Like it is just kind of the same old thing that 
I think you would expect of a dinosaur junior. But at this point in your legacy, I'm curious, like, do you kind of just release music that sounds like music that you would release? Or do you really, like, go off the wall and, 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 and change yourself as you did from the 80s to the 90s? And, and I don't know. I think maybe uh, I expect maybe that it's fine at this point in their career and they're in their 50s that these are decent songs these are good songs they're fairly well written but they're a bit too comfort a bit too in the pocket and, and really as you would expect but i did enjoy um hearing this kind of music in 2021 it, not you don't hear a lot of rock music uh anymore and so to hear an mm -hmm. album that is rock music uh it did kind of flavor me better well, not new for them, per se. It felt new for the time. And so I kind of gave it a little more uh, uh, leeway in that respect. Yeah, you want to know the feeling that it gave me? It reminded me of when we listened to that Cloud Nothings record. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, know, I had similar thoughts. Yeah. It's just, the especially the repetitive drum lines... It's just, I don't know why they want to keep on manufacturing. It almost sounds like they just manufactured a sound and then made 12 songs out of it. Right. It gets you know? a bit much. Um, it was nice to kind of like hear in, in, in some respects, but it doesn't have staying power. It doesn't uh, incite like re-listens or... Uh, go back to as, as much as you would um, some of the early releases, which uh, Without a Sound is one of those. Um, and I believe another one that I was a big fan of was one of their, I think their second uh, album release, uh, You're Living All Over Me, which is more in that noise um, pop pocket uh, that kind of like the forerunners before My Bloody Valentine released uh, uh, their album that, uh, that blew up in the early 90s there. And, you know, they're kind of in that range and that pocket and that scene. And then they kind of cleaned out themselves a bit. Uh, came a little uh, indie alt-rock in the 90s with uh, the album uh, that you mentioned earlier. And, and the so songwriting is good. And you're kind of more compelled to go back and listen to those albums um, than you would be to uh, start here, I think. Um, yeah, well, because those albums have character, and you know the band was onto something, and they played with more ambition and passion. Right. Whereas here, like, it's just I just don't know why, why bother. Uh, I was thinking about his voice uh, when listening to this. He still sounds the exact same. He's, he does, yeah. He's like fifty-five or something, and he still sounds twenty. Um, if you just purely listen to this album without looking what this guy looks like right now, you'd picture like a 20 year old. And I was really fascinated by the fact that his voice really doesn't sound like it changed at all. Yeah. His voice really holds up. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not huge on his voice. Uh, not to say that it's bad. Just doesn't, doesn't catch with me. There's like something twangy about it or right. Right. And, and it does feel more rock and old school rock. Like you said, than I feel like it ever mm -hmm. felt before. In, in the yeah, 90s, yeah, yeah. it felt very unique and kind of in its own rhythm and in, in its own lane. Um, but since then, it, it does feel 
dated. Uh, and I guess that's too, you know, I don't know. Like, do, do I want Dinosaur Jr. to reinvent themselves at this point in their career? I don't know. I don't know what I what you'd really expect out of them at this point. And it feels like their their best days are behind them. And, and this album feels like they're not, they haven't like re- regressed per se. I still think they're pretty talented in, in doing what they do. Uh, and I don't honestly feel like this album is a, such a long stretch from um, their 90s work, honestly. This this album feels like it could have came out in 98 or something after Without a Sound. Uh, it just, it, it, I don't know if that's to its detriment or it's to its, uh, uh, to its appeal it depends on who you are i think um in some ways I, I, I want something new and in some ways you know i enjoy the comfort of returning to a sound that uh, is familiar yeah i just it always i find it bothersome when a band continues to put out music after after they've sort of had their run and you can tell the creativity just isn't there anymore Mm-hmm. And it seems like if you continue to put out albums of this caliber, it's only going to hurt your legacy. Yeah, it, it does feel like maybe they've stagnated to a to a degree. Mm-hmm. I was leaning uh, going into this with like a, a six, is where I was leaning. Um, For me, it's a four. That was a four. Yeah, I was a more acceptant of the sound that they were they were going with. I think mm-hmm. that than you were. Uh, but I can't give it too low. It's like it's a fine record, you know. Um, I wasn't as insulted by this as I was the uh, Cloud Nothings record, which felt like a complete change of pace in in, in gentrification of their sound. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas this just feels uninspired, but fine and, and, and well executed, in, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just so painfully average for me that I, and especially where the band is, you know, they're sort of a legendary band. They're really one of the more popular noise rock bands that have come out of the 80s. Right. And now they're bringing out this type of music. Like when you compare it, when you compare this album to their previous albums, yeah, it, it makes it that much worse for me. Right. I, I'm trying not to compare them to the 80s because it's completely a different band that then you've seen with you're living all over me for example which is a, a, an album i really enjoyed uh that they released in 87 um, but i'm trying to more compare it to uh their 94 album without a sound um which is this is more related to i would think in terms of soundscape they had already de- changed from the 80s into the 90s um so i guess there's no reason why they wouldn't shouldn't have been able to change from the 90s into the Arts and the arts into the twenties uh, here, um, but they didn't. They kind of like they they probably got their biggest success with without a sound. You know, the very popular song "Feel the Pain" uh, is on that album. Uh, so I guess you know once you find your 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 popular pocket, you don't really need to switch it up too much. But it would have been nice to hear some more uh, inspired tracks on this album. Yeah, and I mean, also, the band evolved their sound. Obviously, there was uh, band politics that took a took a role in how that sound evolved, but still, they weren't stagnant, whereas now they're so stagnant, it just sounds so stale. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can and see that. What, 
what really killed me on the whole album were the drum lines. Like the guitar was enough to keep me interested, but the drum lines were just so like meat and potatoes, boring. Yeah, they're very meat and potatoes. And, and honestly, I struggled with the guitar because uh, I relate to you that I think the guitar is the most overrated instrument. Um, and I, I probably said that on one of these episodes. So going into this and listening to an album that is very guitar centric. You know, it, all its flavor kind of comes from the guitar playing and the different passages. Um, I had mm-hmm. to kind of like reset my brand a bit and kind of go to this mush brain place where that guitar like was more appealing to me. Because generally speaking, I like a little more varied guitar or more varied instrument, instrumental palette um, or something a little more. Well, that Igloo Ghost record will really bring out. Uh, yes. Really highlight. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll get to that one. Um but you're right. I was like trying to listen to the uh, the drums on this album. At some points, it's like okay, so let's focus in on the drums at this point. And like nothing jumped into me. There was no like crazy fills or uh, anything like too extravagant or anything that like was doing anything more it, than just keeping the beat. It that's all it does. It just it just holds the beat. It's not like crazy technical album. It just kind of feels a little rocky. And, and, and kind of what leads to why we're doing Omnibus is like, that's kind of all there is to say about the album. Mm-hmm. And, and I think and we, we covered that in like 15 minutes. Yeah, and we were going to cover another record too by Death From Above, their latest release. And it's a little bit of this of a similar story where the band released a really great record in their, with their debut release. And it just seems like nothing's nothing they release afterwards is going to live up to live up to that record right and you know the at least they try to they try to do a little something different with the sound but they don't try to, they don't stray too far from it and they just end up like throwing a bunch of distortion all over the vocals and the guitar and it just it sounds really I was confused. Like the band didn't didn't know how to evolve the sound, so they just, you know, oversaturated it with distortion. Right, right. I I gave it a light listen. Uh, I don't quite really remember all that much about it. I was never a huge fan of the band in general, um, so I found it a little more difficult to get into. Um, I do kind of enjoy that like punk, pop, fancy flavor that they have. Um, I didn't think they did a terrible job with their last album. Uh, Out was Outrage, I think, is the the album before this one. I did enjoy. Uh, I thought that was kind of like that. I thought felt like that album was them coming into their own, into this new era uh, of the band. Um, and I'm I'm curious to go back and listen to uh, this uh, version of it and give it a little more of a listen and and kind of pull it apart a little bit. But. Uh, uh, hopefully it, it isn't that like too bad. I, I just it's it's always been a band I've struggled with with Death from Above, so uh, it was difficult for yeah. me to pull together that week. Yeah, well, I mean, like in comparison to Dinosaur Junior, I like their poppy, dancey approach to to rock music, mm-hmm. and uh, it makes it feel young. It makes it. It just gives it life, but the they just the I don't know the album seemed like it's a little bit stuck. 
and their their way of sort of making that record seem different from anything they've done in the past is just to oversaturate it with all kinds of distortion. And uh, it was a, it was kind of underwhelming. Not necessarily a bad record, but it was just yeah underwhelming. Okay. Um, did you uh, you also listen to um, Lana Del Rey, which is an album I've been meaning to listen to, but I didn't get a, I get around to. I, I heard one track from it. Um, I can't quite remember what it is off the top of my head at the moment. I'll pull that up. That I did enjoy. Yeah, and. Uh... You know, she's coming off, I think, her, the most popular record of her career with Norman fucking Reedus. Um, so there was a lot of expectations, perhaps unfair expectations and hype going into this record. And some people felt a little bit underwhelmed with uh, with the sound on this one, just because there's not there's not like a hit or anything, per se. She keeps it pretty... Um, like... Her music is very much uh, this aching, achingly nostalgic uh, indie rock. Right. The track, uh, by the way, uh, was White Dresses is the one I'm familiar with. Yeah, it's the opener to the record. Okay, okay. And I have to admit, I, I've never really listened to a Lana Del Rey record before. I don't really know anything about her. I mean, you've probably heard the, the remix to the song Summertime Sadness. Oh, yes, I think I'd have. Uh, if you've been in a club anywhere in the past five years, you've probably heard probably heard that song. Uh, well, not quite a place I've been. I do think I've heard it on the radio. <laughs> yeah, this is, there's just no escaping the song. It's, uh... Yeah, okay. Anyways, that uh... is a song I'm familiar with. So this is new record by her. They just kind of a lukewarm reception, I guess? Well, no, I think she's sort of a, like... Um... You know, she's her own woman, obviously, but she's sort of been presented to the world as, like, the new Stevie Nicks. And, in fact, Stevie Nicks featured on Norman fucking Reedus. And is that listen, the name this of the album? A... Yeah, this, the name of the album is Norman fucking Reedus. Okay, not the person. No. Um, anyways, this album, Chemtrail, Chemtrails Over the Country Club... More or less a meditation on, uh, I think, her early years when she was waitressing, trying to break into the music scene. Yeah, that's uh, that's basically what the entirety of like the first song, White Dresses, is about. Which I yeah, really enjoyed yeah. that song. Like of the song I heard, I was really impressed with White Dresses. I I thought it was very tuneful and and melancholy and really nostalgic and stuff. And I enjoyed it. Like it was a nice uh, voice that she has. It's very folky and wispy and but like she kind of goes within several ranges within her voice and she definitely has like uh, a very interesting and well control over her voice uh just basing off of the ones i heard um yeah, i was yeah. super interested in hearing the rest of the album i don't know if it is it kind of all within that realm or if it goes up or down from there well that's the that's the thing that it sort of come under criticism a bit for is that it doesn't yeah, go beyond that realm very much, except for one song, um, Dance Till We Die. And like you were saying, she has a pretty wide vocal range, but she, the vocal style doesn't change from what you hear on White Dress. 
very much throughout the album, but Dance Till We Die, she sort of becomes a little, she sort of lets her hair down a little bit, and her singing style becomes a little more relaxed, and and for that reason, the mood of the track is just a a little bit more fun on an album that is a little too melancholic, a little too serious at times. Uh, She's also been congratulated, or she's been praised for her songwriting. And... Yeah, the the way dresses felt like a very well written song. Uh, it kind of reminded me, and this may either be a insult or a compliment, depending on who you are. Kind of reminded me of some of that early Taylor Swift stuff, uh, when she was more okay. writing writing her own stuff, but just like uh-huh. without the country twang or anything to it, and that kind of like immaturity that comes a little bit along with Taylor Swift's like song topics. But you know, kind of like that white uh, white middle class girl. Uh, you know, with all these like, you know, that kind of perspective that came on things and the kind of romanticism of it all. And she writes nice refrains, and usually the lyricism is good. But every now and again, she'll have a line like she has in this track, "White dresses." Look how I got this, just singing in the street, down at the men, down at the men in business con, in music business conference. It's hard enough to say that, let alone <laughs> sing it in a melodious way. And sometimes the lyrics can be clunky, and that this track is a good example. But I've heard no, I've heard people singing praises about this song, and the songwriting, and it is good. But except for this one moment, so awkward. And it, I, no matter how many times I listen to the song, it always sticks out. And there's a couple other instances on the record where there are these clunky lyrics. And uh, so, yeah, the the lyrics are, for the most part, really good, but there are some weird, awkward moments, like down at the men in music business conference. <laughs> <laughs> and even when she sings it, like, she sort of, uh, like, accelerates her voice to... You know what it kind of sounds like? It sounds like, um, you ever just, like, let your phone autocorrect? Just, yeah. It just hit the, the hit middle button, see what kind of sentence it makes? It kind of sounds mm-hmm. like one of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, would, uh, would you would you generally recommend the album for a listen, or do you think it's not one of her better works? Like, I'm not sure exactly where you, you there's some criticism you have here, but as an overall piece, yeah, yeah I think it's a it's a solid seven record, and uh, you should definitely check it out if you like indie rock or uh, if you like sort of this achingly beautiful voice and slower slower songs it's mostly balladry that you'll hear on the album mm-hmm. uh something that's yeah nice to play in the evenings or you know if you're with your girlfriend or boyfriend right right definitely okay. put it on uh and apparently she announced that she's releasing another record later on this year or during the summer i think oh geez so uh who knows? maybe we'll get around to actually checking doing giving that album the full treatment Right, right. I wouldn't mind giving uh, Lana a full treatment because I, I am kind of ignorant about her. I would like to increase my uh, my knowledge of the landscape because she's pretty popular from what I understand. Yeah, she's probably, you know, like uh, the queen of indie rock right now. Okay, okay. Um, another album I was kind of trying to talk about for a few weeks um, is a album by Igloo Ghost. Uh, Lion Eon, which is their his second uh, album release. 
Um, he is like a, a kind of a glitch pop, drum and bass, drill and bass, synthetic um, electronic album um, with a lot of dense uh, soundscapes and textures that uh, go up and down a lot of like violin usages and like very um, harmonious sections and uh, it was it's a really it's a really interesting blend of organic sounds and electronic glitchy sounds and it's a prominently instrumental album there are vocal passages that are like uh, voice pitched or kind of put in there in a janky ways that I don't really think uh, emphasize the uh, the sound as much it just kind of feels like more uh, layers on to the sounds that come out of this album um, mm-hmm. I became familiar with Igloo Ghost uh, when he released his sister EPs uh, a few years ago okay yeah back in 2018 is what I'm talking about uh, Steel Mogu and Clear Tamae I can't pronounce that Clear Tamae uh, it's like these he, he creates these like little characters that he kind of kind of writes music around they're like these little snow creatures with like little hats and mystical uh, features to them i don't know if you know what i'm talking about do you ever hear the game called journey uh i've heard of it i'm looking at the little characters right now right they kind of remind me of of that character in that game they're just kind of like little cutesy little things that kind of inhabit this world that he creates within his head and then he kind of like writes the soundtrack to um the music kind of gives me this feeling of like walking through a lush forest and then and reaching down to smell smell a flower only to to see the serbos and and glitchy features of it when you get close enough like everything has like this weird organic uh, feel to it but like it's made of all these electronic sounds that remind me of like a craft work uh, in in the way they're put together, and they also remind me of uh, Aphex Twin as like another uh, uh, popular uh, drum bass kind of artist that kind of has a similar sound. But um, it it just really feels yeah. unique. His sound feels really unique. It's really dense. There's a lot of like rise, peaks and valleys through it. Um, it's just such a good background music that I, I think it, it was it's hard not to like honestly. Uh, there isn't quite the the banger quality of Neon Wax Bloom, which was the first album that is critically acclaimed uh, across the board. Uh, this one is, takes a more smoother approach, a little more uh, harmony and a little more, you know, feel nice to it. Like, you know, everything feels like so pretty and, and but like chaotic at the same time. But also like a controlled chaos, like everything has its place. Everything is put specifically where it needs to be put but it has such a free flow to it at the same time so i checked out this record and it seems to me like it's a like an avant-garde dubstep record like he uses all those syncopated bass bass mm-hmm. yeah and there's all these weird pitch sounds that are going on like super high pitch that uh, i find to be very annoying and I also didn't understand your, why you compared them to Kraftwerk, because Kraftwerk is a band that likes to establish a pattern, and it has this looping repetitiveness to to their music, like the song Autobahn. Um, 
specifically the craft this song. This album doesn't do any, doesn't establish any sort of, yeah, repetition or pattern. It's constantly sort of being uh, very polyphonic and all over the place, and at the same in the same place at the same time at the same time. And uh, it, it was m more like almost occupying a music installation. It was a lot of noise and. He was blending, like you said, the analog and the digital together, and I can certainly see how it appeals to some people, but not not my thing. Right. I, the the song that I specifically have in mind when I when I talk about Kraftwerk and why that's familiar to me, um, I'm gonna have trouble pronouncing this, so you might have to help me here. Uh, Morgan Spazengang. Uh, it's the song where he creates this very organic. Uh, soundscape like a trickling river and tweeting birds but there's all of these electronic features and, and that kind of like mix of organic and electric uh, that they uh, uh, use at the end of that album is kind of where I'm pulling uh, that comparison yeah I can I can see what you're saying uh, with a track like that um, which is yeah not when I think of craft fair is that that those are not the types of tracks that come to mind Sure, but uh, I can certainly see the comparison there. Yeah, for sure. And that's what it's trying to do is like create the create this sort of space of dusk or dawn. Right, and, and that's probably my favorite Kraftwerk song. Uh, only probably because I've only listened to that one album, uh, Autobahn. Um, but that's my that's kind of the first thing that comes to my head when I think of Kraftwerk. Yeah, is mm -hmm. that 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 song and how they were able to like create this landscape of sound. And I get that as well in 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 this album. Uh, this was yeah. like one of my favorite albums so far this year. Uh, I was really compelled by the soundscape. Um, I could just like really just like zen out and listening to this. Uh, there are like a lot of pitch, like a high pitch, like uh, electronic like peeps. Um, but it's kind of like he kind of creates this kind of like world that exists where these little wiggly creatures and stuff. And they, they, that's always been kind of like the sound of those creatures, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he creates this like world that kind of exists within the sounds that he creates. And I've always pictured those, those kind of like high pitch kind of uh, sounds to be kind of like emphasizing or encompassing these little fairy creatures that he, that he talks about and, and places on the front of his albums. Yeah. I am. I, I could see that. It has a bit of a concept to it in that sense, I guess. Right. And uh, I, 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 in terms, I'm not a huge electrical, electronic fan, but this has definitely been like a, a certain gate for me to kind of get into the, into the genre. This has like been a very good, uh, palette to start with, in, in my, in my opinion, because I'm not a huge Apex Twin fan, because I think the drum bass is a bit too, um, rapid and, too, like too monotonous in some of the respects. But there's all the last put out is a lot like this one though isn't it uh, i haven't i've only really listened to the one apex twin album so my opinion is really skewed um but from that experience there but there's also been a lot of apex twin stuff that on that even on that album that i did enjoy it's just kind of the pocket that he chooses to uh, uh to be in depends on my taste for it but um this yeah. has been a, a little more smoother a little more cut brought back less like uh dramatic in, in certain ways um, but still like a very soundscapey storyline driven -y kind of electronic album that I think 
definitely people should check out. Uh, I thought it was phenomenal, and it's definitely one of my favorite albums of the year. It, it makes me even more curious that uh, you didn't care too much for the Spirit of the Beehive uh, record. I think that's a Inter- misdemeanor. It's like, I did like that album. I enjoyed it plenty, actually. Uh, it even starts off with like this noise section that really grabbed my attention. Um, but just, I guess that week, uh, I just wasn't able to like conjure any compelling thoughts about it. You know, I enjoy what they were doing. It had this very like dim glow about it in, in the way it's produced uh, and the production techniques. And it was very easy to listen to and engaging in a lot of ways. And it was kind of like this one holistic piece. Uh, but it kind of made me struggle a bit to like really come up with a content to talk about with the album. And that's kind of where I was. And I was a bit distracted that week as well. I might have also played into it. Uh, returning to the album, probably, I might be able to uh, grab on something a little more tangible with it. Yeah, well, the, inter- the record is called Entertainment Death. And similar to this last Igloo Ghost record, it very much creates a soundscape. And uh, one of the criticisms against the album is that uh, you know, it, it, cool record, but the songs, uh, there's not really, it's not really an album you can go and just put on a song and listen to it and be and be like, oh, that's a good song. Right. The album sort of works, it, it, everything, it works together, mm-hmm. and you've, you're very much sort of walking into sort of this weird uh, psychedelic, uh, carnivalesque soundscape and the band were sort of this shoegazy psychedelic act beforehand however this is the first record where they've been able to produce the record themselves Okay. and so there has been a pretty steep uh, progression in their sound and they got very experimental with the with the production Right. I think they got pretty experimental with the sonic structure too um I felt like they're. It was weird. Um, they would do these really hard cuts during the album, to the point where um, it became difficult upon just listening to when the hard cut w- initiated an end of a song, and beginning of the next song, or it was just something in the middle of the song. I know Entertainment, for example, had like two trans. Two. One was a little better done, but one of them was a a blanket hard cut in entertainment from like the noise opening chaos into this more indie uh, tronic second half. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was kind of paying attention to that as I was going. And it was like, uh, by the time I got to the fourth track, I felt like I counted off like eight or nine hard cuts from like one genre of a song to another genre of a song where the transition, it felt very like t- uh, TV clicky, you know, like it would just change. Hard cuts, yeah. Like right. the, the the sort of big song on the record, uh, the longest song on the record is called I Suck the Devil's Cock, and it essentially summarizes everything that you're saying. Like they, they incorporate a, a number of different genres in that one song, and they sort of cycle through them with these hard, hard cuts. Right, and, and it, because of these hard cuts, it actually made it feel like the album feel like a more... Um, cohesive single piece in in a weird way, you know, because like I was I was no longer able to 
discern between tracks because hard cuts would not signify the end of a track into another track. It just meant like a transition of sound. And so all these hard cuts that would happen between tracks, you know, they were still there and sometimes they weren't there. Uh, but like it, it made you a little more lost when you're when you listen to it. It, it, it kind of removed it by adding an abundance of like fake outs. It, it made you like really get lost in the holistic sound of the album. And, and I kind of liked it. Like when I started thinking about what was happening and the fact that it kind of the, the haircut, usually it would be something I would complain about. Um, but the fact that they do it kind of so often and it seems intentional and the way that it kind of brings all the pieces together a little more uh, in this little box, I kind of liked. But uh, that was kind of most of like what I was able to like pull from in terms of critical analysis. Besides, yeah, well, I, go ahead. The other thing I would say is that the band really creates a great atmosphere, a very hallucinogenic, hallucinatory atmosphere. However, they go too much into the atmosphere area and they sort of took away a little bit from the songwriting, I think. Mm-hmm. And they got so hung up on, or not hung up, but so invested in being able to create these cool, this cool atmosphere and this psychedelic atmosphere, that they forgot a little bit to, you know, write more coherent songs. Um, and yeah, I, I I kind of ended up being very unable to kind of define how I felt. Um, mm-hmm. about it. Because in, in some aspects, I really enjoyed how uh, undefined some of the tracks were and, and how it kind of fit in upon, among the album. I was enjoying what they were doing a lot of the time and how it felt, but like it's really like hard to define this album in general because the genres switch so frequently and everything feels like an overall concept though like like i said like this kind of like add nature and channel flicking nature of of music now and how we digest it and it felt like there was a a larger critique going on and a larger structure going on that was compelling to me but the fact that i couldn't really hook into and and really write anything compelling besides uh this part of this song was this this part of this song was that i liked this about this i didn't like that about that and in a really more robotic kind of review structure is kind of what it brought out of me uh, because it was felt like a very robotic kind of album in in some respects in terms of like the kind of the way they structured certain things but even but they put it in within this more organic and uh, holistic piece so it wasn't it, when I say robotic it's not necessarily an insult to it or say it's boring of any sort it just felt very mechanical in certain respects yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying about the mechanical song structure, especially like in, with the individual songs. Um, and then when you take the album as a whole, it can bleed together a bit. And I think that plays into what I was saying about it focusing so much on atmosphere. And uh, the band gets away from trying to write a coherent song. But for that reason, because it's so atmospheric, I... Have, am able to draw some comparisons to this Igloo Ghost record because it seems like it's very much concerned with being atmospheric as well. Mm-hmm. And I would say that Igloo Ghost record is perhaps 
more avant-garde versus the, the Spirit of the Beehive record, and I found the Spirit of the Beehive record to be more accessible, just because it's a little more fun, and it's not... There's a lot... Of, it's really busy, but the Igloo Ghost record, to me, there's just something... Some sort of density to it, mm-hmm. and the combination of the electronic and the digital and the analog, and I don't know if he samples field recordings but it sounds like he samples field recordings sometimes it just it was a little bit more heady compared to uh, the spirit of the beehive record Uh, i would say igloo ghost is more defined in terms of what is trying to be accomplished and the sounds that are being incorporated in the textures that are used uh and in terms of like its accessibility it really kind of depends on if that that defined sound that is being offered up is really in your wheelhouse i think Whereas Entertainment Death, it does have this vibe of like urban, like street dwelling almost, you know, um, it's an urban teenage life livelihood or early twenties, you know, where Igligos is a a more vague of a of a creature of a of, a, of an existence, uh, and that's how I, I would find. It. I, I I find them both avant garde in, in their own ways, but Igligos kind of goes off in a more uh, futuristic kind of approach rather than entertainment death's more urban um, millennial approach I would say yeah yeah the guys are they're, they're a younger band out of Philly um, but yeah it's just I would say Spirit of the Beehive is a little more fun whereas Igloo Ghost is more it's more of a serious really intellectual yeah, it is. It, it, but it's also whimsical in a lot of ways. And, and, but it is very um, kind of serious in its structure. And, I, like the, I like the vocal features that were on the album. It gave it a little bit more of a softer, whimsical right, right. feel on some of the songs. Uh, I really that... enjoyed Baby uh, was one of her feature on there. And Lola as well was really great. Yeah, so uh, do you have another album that you want to talk about? Uh, I'm just checking to see if there's anything I really looked into. The only other albums I really uh, listened to in, in between all this was kind of some older albums that really don't uh, fit the discussion per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I was talking to some some people about the album and some of the uh, episodes they were listening to. Uh, I know my friend Mark was talking to me about that um Cloud Nothing's release, and we had a discussion about, you know, the difference between No Future, No Past, and Oslo, you know, both four-minute songs on two different albums, and, like, what is accomplished in one and what's accomplished in the other, and mm-hmm. we, we, I kind of delved into it a little bit more, and No Future, No Past is such a slower song, and, like, it has, like, this uh, tensity that's just underneath the, the surface of the song that eventually comes out in the end in the break uh, breakdown and has a more emotional explosion to it whereas Oslo does a similar thing but it, it kind of gives you more of a roller coaster where it does release and give more energy throughout the song there's more expression earlier in the song so that when the breakdown does happen later it doesn't have such an uh, overwhelming emphasis as, as if you know future no fast has which built better into the breakdown and that was something that we were discussing uh, that i thought i was going to bring up here and uh, i was also in your facebook talking to uh, one of your friends i forget his name now uh, maybe i should look that up so i can uh, no, his name doesn't matter okay sure 
and he was a uh, you know saying how he he really enjoyed the features on uh, on Brockhampton, and uh, and you were sa- and you kind of gave uh, the features some shit. Uh, you did mostly shit on um, the JPEG Mafia, but you did also uh, stress several times in the episode how the features really took away from the album. Well, they just don't fit the album. They're just, uh, like I said, they seem, they would have been a, made a good EP. Yeah. Do you and, think... and start the album with light, but uh, they just doesn't. They just don't make any sense for the album. They seem like an appendage that is that is tacked on. Right. So that was uh, some of the comments that I seen about some of the episodes. I, I figured I'd relate to you, to see how how you felt if you felt like you needed to defend your point or anything on that. No, I think uh, I think yeah. What I say, what my, my listening of the record uh, makes makes sense. And even if you like the features, I think it's not hard to understand where it is I'm coming from because there's such there's such a coherence that comes after starting and after light, which the other songs are don't don't relate to. Right. It doesn't fit the coherence of the rest of the album. So I was thinking um, in the future, um, when we come across an album that sometimes maybe we don't have uh, a lot to talk about, that we embrace some more shorter episodes. Uh, like today's episode is probably going to be a shorter one, around 40-something minutes. So uh, I think maybe we can embrace a little bit of that more of a format in the future if it comes to an album that we don't have a lot to say about and more... Uh, short form uh, reviews I, I enjoy our longer reviews as well because usually that means we have a lot to talk about um, like with the Brockhampton review went to an hour 20 and I didn't have any problem with that just because I felt like there was a lot for us to talk about and to go over and to cover and discuss back and forth and so some reviews don't really um, don't really lend itself to that kind of conversation and I think uh, that's better uh, covered in this uh, this kind of format uh, but it's kind of weird because sometimes we have to we we don't really realize that you know there's not a lot of content to cover for an hour long podcast until way late in the week and then it's a little we kind of a little stuck a little bit um, so that's kind of I think some of the the genesis of some of these uh these kind of episodes and maybe we'll have to put some work into figuring out quite how to handle that situation a little better in the future. Yeah, uh, and there's also. The beginning of April was a little bit stale, let's be honest, as far as music releases go. Right. Um, however, at the end of April, Gojira released a new record, and uh, it's everyone's been singing its praises, and I've checked it out, and I'm really excited to talk about it. All right, that's, and, that's interesting. You know, again, uh, another step to, into my music discovery. You know, I'm interested in giving a little another uh, toe into the, to the lake of metal and seeing how I come out on the other end. Maybe by the end, uh, maybe in a few years' time, I'll be after doing this podcast for so long, I'll be uh, wearing my Opeth T-shirts in a uh, in my uh, <laughs> my stud chain uh, chokers. So I'm looking forward yeah, to it. No, yeah, I wouldn't uh, characterize them as being like Opeth, but I think it is a far more accessible metal record for someone such as yourself who 
is a little bit weary of the genre. And it's certainly not going to include any grindcore elements like the Pupil Slicer record. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I really threw, threw you to the wolves with that one. I just tossed you right in. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. I did enjoy the album overall, but it's, you know, again, I, I kind of covered my opinions on it. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this one develops and what, what kind of pocket of metal that this brings forth. So uh, yeah, that, that's uh, a confirmed uh, for next week that we will be talking about Gojira. Yes, and for anybody who's wondering, uh, that is Godzilla in Japanese. Right. I, I, th- I thought so. And uh, from France. Sorry? The band, uh, are, they come from France. Oh, France, okay. I thought you said Frost for a second. I was like, well, <laughs> no. is, that, is that a gimmick of the uh, ice zombies now? You got some Game of Thrones going? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the latest Godzilla movie. It's uh, not really my thing. But you're a Godzilla fan. I'm I'm a slight Godzilla fan. I just like uh, some of the more... I like visiting it every now and then. I don't really like the American versions. Um, I'm more into some of the more... Either the cheesy uh, Japanese versions or even like the, the one I did make you watch. Um, Shin Godzilla, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, and that movie was pretty decent. It was, uh, it had some good satire, actually. Right. Well, but, uh, Godzilla's never going to be, uh, well, the first one was kind of like peak cinema, but uh, Godzilla was never really, it never really evolved into something that's a cinematic classic. You know, it is a formula of sorts. And I thought that the formula was done really well in Shin Godzilla and a new design and a lot of really great cinematography going on and, uh, it was uh, directed by the guy who did a Neon Genesis Evangelion. And there's scenes in there that you really the spit of it. But uh, I think we're uh, dragging out a little bit. And uh, I think uh, we'll be back next week to talk about uh, some Gojira. Uh, by the way, uh, like, subscribe, share, do all that. We have a donate feature now, which uh, we shared with this post. Uh, obviously not obligated to do anything like that. It's just there if you feel compelled to. Uh, means I could appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next week.